It's time for the What in the Podcast. What do you think of when I say the word Hawaii? You think of fun in the sun, beaches, hotels, pineapples, poi, hula dancers, fire dancers, roasted pig, volcanoes, all sorts of things occur when you think about that word. But Hawaii is more than that. Hawaii is literally an island nation made up of all sorts of different nationalities. Samoans, Filipinos, Native Hawaiians, Japanese. And it's not just the fun in the sun. Hawaii has a long history of myths, legends, and hauntings. Tonight, we're going to talk about just that. Welcome to episode 84 of What in the Podcast. Welcome to the What in the Podcast with your hosts, Kent Whittington and Adriana Camito and Tracy Lynn Hernandez. Mahalo, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to What in the Podcast. <laughs> Why did I say mahalo? <laughs> because you wanted to set me off and make you giggle immediately. Because we're doing that's one thing. Hawaii. Yeah. That's right. We were and talking Polynesian tales. Yes, we were talking about Hawaii and, and the great melting pot of the South Pacific that it is. Um, we've got a few stories for you tonight. Um, what, maybe we should just get into it. I don't know. Is there any, anything else going on that we need to talk about? Any old business? Uh, life happened, and that's why we didn't have a podcast yeah, we, last yeah, week. Yeah, that is true. Last week was because my pygmy, my five foot eleven and a half inch pygmy, turned nineteen. And on a recording night, I was out to dinner. Well, it wasn't just—it wasn't just the pygmy. I mean, we, I also had the uh, grueling task of doing our taxes. Yay. That was a lot of fun, but I got a return, so... And I got my normal husband back when he was done, finally. That's right. You know, it's, it's <laughs> the grumpy actually... I'd lived with for weeks and weeks and weeks finally became normal again. Yeah, okay. it would start out with, I have to do my taxes, I have to get the taxes done, I have to get the taxes done, leave me alone, I have to get the taxes done. And, and when I'm up. doing the taxes, like, don't bother me, I'm doing the taxes. That's why I was hiding upstairs. Finally, I get to, taxes are done. So I have to go to the IRS building. I thought you were doing that Monday. I was trying to, but life happened because life happens. So I have to go to the IRS building because if you call the IRS number, it tells you, okay, we'll insert this information that you should have. If you don't have the information, like what your return was last year because they never mailed it to you, and your files got hopefully deleted by someone who is being spiteful, um, yeah, so I call the number and play on the internet and call the number and play on the internet and I'm just going to have to go to it because the number I got finally sent me not the federal tax return people no no state tax return that's not helpful that's not helpful and that one I know because it's the only one that hit <laughs> but anywho 
But anywho, I have until the middle of the month. Well, what got me is one. what got me is when you called the number they told you to call. What did they tell you oh, then? Yeah. The, the, the one that, it's, <laughs> choose from these options. Okay. Well, I'd like to get information. Okay. Well, hang up and call the same number back. Yeah. I'm like I'm looking, going. I I I called that number you just told me to hang up and call. You tell you want to tell them it's the same number. It's your number. I just <laughs> Why called am you. I yes. calling a number to get to a tree that won't help me to get back to the same number that could not, not help me at the same tree. That's not, oh, no, no, no. Also, if you don't have this information, hang up and call back when you have it. Yes. Well, I'm trying to get it from you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and to make an appointment, you have to use the website. To make the appointment on the website, that department or that, that function is no longer or is not currently working. So I get to just go and sit there, you know, crack it on and go, hi, mm -hmm. I don't have an appointment. I will wait impatiently. Please help. Because. Well, I'm sorry you went through that, Tracy. Oh, well. It's life. It happens to yep. Okay. <laughs> you threw me on that one. What, Toyota? Yes, you threw on a Toyota there. It was my very first red word, and it's always been it's because of the, the ads at the time where I love what you do for me, Toyota. You asked for it, you got it, yep. And it became, it's life that happens, Toyota. Uh -huh. Fair enough. It's the word that gave my mother a heart attack while she was driving me. <laughs> because I'm in the back seat of the car going, it -ba -da -ba -da, looking at the lights, oh, that's red, that's green, Toyota! And she's like, what the, how did you, oh, ads. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, these things fashioned our youth. Yep. And now we are worse off for it. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Good, good. Anyway, <laughs> I think we should probably just get into it. What do you think? <laughs> okay. Well, let's ask the question first of all is Hawaii really haunted? Yes. I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think most places are haunted because the whole earth has always had somebody died somewhere everywhere. At some point. I can't argue with that. I think Hawaii is, is haunted. I think it's got a lot of history to it. Not just battlegrounds to it. Not just people that have been there forever. And not just one culture. And not just one culture. Multiple cultures. Right. So let's get into the great melting pot that is Hawaii. So before becoming a world-class destination, before ghost tours, which they have a ton of from what I've found out, uh, before outside visitors, the islands of Hawaii were steeped in oral tradition of a pantheon of gods and goddesses, of creatures that only came out at night, of shape-shifting beings in the upland forests and waterfalls, which were inhabited by a translucent force that dragged young men into their dark depths in order to suck the spiritual life out of them. Ugh. That was <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Even King Kamehameha found it necessary to appease the very gods themselves in order to secure victory in his campaign to bring the Hawaiian archipelago under one rule. Hawaiian deities, let me try that again. Deities. Hawaiian deities. Because <laughs> Hawaiian deities, okay. Hawaiian deities and spirits aren't the only things residing in this island paradise. Stop. <laughs> When settlers from other nations made Hawaii their home, they also brought their myths and legends with them, as we said. The Inugami, Japanese dog demons, are sent to ruin the lives of unsuspecting families, for example. The Oswong, a Filipino vampire-like creature, roams in search of her next victim. And, and uh, this is going to be a hard one for me to say. Sorry. The Fieti Sierra, I think I said that right, 
a Portuguese witch spins her spells and curses at her whim. Rich in culture and traditions, modern-day murders and crimes of passion, the emotional state of unexpected deaths, and the history of plague and epidemics in Hawaii, these islands are overflowing with stories of ghosts and hauntings, creatures, and curses. Dun, dun, dun. 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 <laughs> so let's get into it. Uh, you found a bunch of them, Tracy. Do you want to start? So I found some on Hawaii, but I found a bunch of Polynesian bits and bobs. Okay, that's that's because it's part of the Polynesian chain of islands. That's counted. Polynesia itself. So um, all Polynesian societies have many stories of ghosts and spirits that played a role in the traditional uh, legends. Uh, so my little blurb here has got things from Walter Drake Westervelt collected a, pu a published eighteen of them in the Hawaiian Legends of Ghosts and Gods. In 1915, with the legend of Pele, the Hawaiian goddess of volcanic fire, and how she relates to men, how she fell in love with a man, found out that he had died, found that his ghost had gone, his ghost was a thin presence in the cave, and with great difficulty used her magical powers to restore him to life. He was destroyed again, but as a ghost was once more found. At this time, he had, uh, uh -huh, in the form of a bird floating over the waters, and once more restored to life. Everywhere she went, she would freeze an island. Go figure. Mm -hmm. And I've got a little bit more on her we can talk about later, too. Okay. Um, another Polynesian Hawaiian legend uh, tells of a young man who fell on the hands of priests at a high temple, captured and sacrificed him to their god, and then planned to treat his bones dishonorably. The young man's ghost uh, revealed the situation to his father through a dream and aided his father to retrieve the bones through great exertions. To place them in his own secret burial cave. The ghost of the young man was then able to joyfully go down to the spirit world. Yes, go down. Uh, Polynesian, or, or influenced ghosts make things like ghost sickness. Mm -hmm. In Polynesia, it takes two forms, possession and bizarre behavior, where the victim often talks to the voice of the dead person and retarded feeling caused by the ghost or evil spirit. The patient is treated with strong-smelling plants such as beach pea, P-E-A, uh, island rue or tea plant, and in the case of possession through uh, reasoning with the ghost, not through exorcism, reasoning. I wonder how that works versus exorcism. Uh, you know, um, I mean, it works for it works for their for that culture. Yes, definitely. Uh, the narrator of one of these anecdotes and stories did not wish to be named, as she's Samoan from. The Lefka on her mother's side and Thalfa on her father's side. In Samoa, they cover their mirrors at nighttime because every mirror and every mirror in the house. Some believe the devil looks into your soul every night at the dark. Uh, her grandmother used to say that if you didn't, uh, if you didn't, then when you woke up and looked in the mirror in the middle of the night, you'd actually see a shadow over the top of your reflection. Even though it'd be pitch black, you still see the shadow, and it would be there pulling constantly and pulling at you. How do they sleep? I mean, they're told every night that the devil's hanging over them. <laughs> I'd never sleep again. <laughs> well, yeah, that would be my thing, but you okay. Um, according to my mom, the mother of one of my cousins died after brushing her hair at night. She brushed it one night, and the next day she, uh, her hair had fallen out, and she was gone. Uh, the partner's cousin also went bald. He finished, working, uh, finished work for the night and gone home to have a shower. His parents told him not to, but he ended up combing his hair in front of the mirror anyway. As he combed it, he saw his reflection, and in his reflection, he saw his hair fall out with each brushstroke. Some of these stories Simone's tell are often about the Twelve Sisters, 
And I'm so sorry if I said that wrong. Uh, neither human nor God, but exquisitely beautiful and cruel spirits. They are pre uh, very jealous of pretty girls. If so, uh, so if they see that you're pretty, walking with your hair down and, or dyed a different color, they'll make you suffer. Some believe they curse you with a sickness. Others believe in breaking the rules and crossing the line so they can't saw comes with fatal consequences. There are 12 huts standing in one village of Samoa representing each of the spirit sisters. Plants and food and other offerings are laid out for them. People walking past the huts are not allowed to stare at them. And if you ever hear noises as you go by, you have to call it a greeting, even if you see no one around. Well, it's only nice to do anyway. Yes. Uh, she remembers her mom telling her that her grandfather once walked past the offerings, saw the spoons of the plates moving, as if the saw were feeding themselves. Didn't try talking to them, he told her later. Just put your head down and keep walking. I've noticed that some of these legends, that tends to be the the the, uh, the solution yep. for, for most of the hauntings. Um, I wanted to bring up real quick yeah. your mother's story about the Ouija board. Yes. That was, was that in Hawaii also? It was in Japan. It was in Japan. So, yes. Well, we're talking about the same traditions <laughs> and everything. Well, we're in Polynesia. Yes. Yeah. So for those who aren't familiar with this particular story I'm talking about, go back to episode eight. That's where Tracy's mother Penny related and the, other the story. Cindy. And, and that's, <laughs> they related the story about the Ouija board and the spirit who contacted them. August cool, no one else's. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. Um, so anyway, I'm sorry. Please continue. I was told about. Uh, she was told about one uh, a man who came across the across a lake in one of the villages. The lake was surrounded by golden or sorry, green trees, yay. but the water was black and believed that. That is the lake where the little evil spirits live. People in the area left a sign at the entrance that reads, Do not litter in this area. Man ignored the sign. Quote, I'm a Christian. I don't believe in this. I fear nothing, he said to himself. Uh-oh. He uh, <laughs> leaved himself in the lake and went on his way to visit his parents' home. He paddled in the black lake of evil. <clears throat> but a spirit followed him all the way back to Australia for his disrespect. And the spirit cursed the man to urinate and he's out of his Tail feathers. There what, we go. What do you suppose the plan fair was for that spirit? Probably nothing. You I know it's, a, it's a dumb question. You know, but... <laughs> for weeks and then Does he carry on? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Tracy. Soul baggage. <laughs> for weeks and then couldn't relieve himself properly. Was too embarrassed about the situation to say anything or go to a doctor. Eventually, he went to his brother's wife's mom, who does you could say spiritual massage, and she slapped him and asked, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> The man went to reply. He said, no, I'm not talking to you. She'd been talking to the spirit. She told the man to go back to Samoa and apologize to the lake. Once he did, the spirit returned and him back to normal. So that means he had to fly back to Samoa. Back to Samoa. Mm -hmm. And apologize. To apologize. Uh, see, there's other stories of possessions, too. That's, that's not exactly what I would call massage, either. Well, but it, it, if it worked for him. You know, a so-called spiritual massage. You just slap it. You know, since we, you don't, you don't exercise the spirit. You 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 just you slap the hell out of it. it. You get its attention. You mm -hmm. and you communicate. So you just slap the snot out of them while you're here. Yeah. Anywho, uh, stories of possession as well. And the Samoan culture believes spirits can't possess you until you let them. Until you verbally say, "Come into me." There was a Samoan man in 
the partner's church in New Zealand who allowed himself to be possessed because he'd been in love with the girl that was dating uh, my partner's brother. We didn't know about the possession. He began noticing that when he started to fall asleep at random moments, he'd wake up walking around town and drop suddenly, just completely out like a light. One day he was going with my partner to a group of friends for a church function. It was sports day for the churches. They'd been going to play a game. He dropped as a group, walked through town. When he got up, he walked over to a random person nobody knew and started speaking in Mandarin. They talked for a long time. The person was speaking, he was speaking to understood and spoke Mandarin back. The partner then told me that he was shocked and that the man never knew how to speak Mandarin before. The group called out to the man, but he wouldn't respond. He started, he started running away from them instead. Found out later that he was using evil spirits to attract the woman he was in love with so that she would no longer be with my partner's brother instead with him at all times. Dun, dun, dun. It worked to some degree. Like he would call her at 2 a.m. saying he needed her help and uh, despite the fact that she'd been three hours away, she'd take off straight away in the middle of the night to go see him. We brought him back to the church to get rid of the possession, but he wouldn't. But he wouldn't step past the door. My partner and his friends had would try to push him in and just wouldn't budge. He had strength of ten men and was the smallest of us all. So that's what what I have on that part there. Okay. Well, then I'll just go into mine. Okay. Um, do you know what the Huaka Ipo are? A mouthful to say. <laughs> Besides that, <laughs> uh, would they be the the, the Hawaiian ghost marchers? Or uh, yeah, the Hawaiian night marchers, exactly. Um, the Hawaiian legends are passed down for generations, and the legend of the night marchers is no different. If you ask any resident, they will surely be able to recount a tale, maybe even one of an uncle or auntie who saw the legendary spirits themselves. Night marchers, known as Huaka'ipo, I almost had trouble saying it again, in the Hawaiian language, are death-dealing ghosts. Folklore describes them as a group of spirits, sometimes traveling with ancient Hawaiian gods or goddesses in their midst, that march down the mountainside after sunset. <clears throat> the procession is often accompanied by the sounds of the conch shell, rhythmic drumming, and oli, or chants. Uh, the legend of the night marchers are rooted in ancient Hawaii, which was once governed by a strict caste system. When an ali'i, or chief, passed through a village, his warriors blew conch shells and beat pahu drums to announce his arrival. Commoners were expected to stare at the ground, never ever making eye contact. The consequences of disobeying this kapu, or taboo, was death. The ali'i weren't just leaders, they held immense mana, or spiritual power. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with Mana, mm -hmm. and were often thought of as physical representations of the gods. These same warriors tasked to protect the Ali'i and uphold the Kapu are believed to continue their duties into the afterlife as the night marchers. Uh, since Hawaiian was only a spoken language at the time of the Western contact, the first written account of the night marchers wasn't until 1883. The document described various sightings of ghost soldiers following the spirit of King Kamehameha the Great on the Big Island. This wasn't the only claim by Hawaii residents who have seen the frightening ghosts of the night. Indeed, the legend of the night marchers are still told throughout the Hawaiian islands today. Excuse me, with more than a local, a few locals who proclaim they are not just a fairy tale. Across the island chain, residents have reported seeing a line of torches moving down the mountain. 
many times in areas with sheer cliffs and no roads or trails for miles. Some say the night marchers leave just their footprints behind, while others claim they float above the ground without leaving a trace. In either case, the universal understanding among believers is that you should never cross a night marcher's path. As legend tells it, any unfortunate mortal who hears the warning sounds of a nearby procession should run and hide or lie down on the ground to let them pass. But most importantly, follow the ancient kapu and never make eye contact or face the ultimate consequence. For those visiting or living in Hawaii who want nothing to do with the night marchers, avoiding them is actually simple. Never interrupt the march of the huaka'i. Avoid eye contact with marchers, for their gaze is said to be deadly. Crouch down low to the ground and play dead, not making any sound or movement. Use tea lead to protect home and walkways. I don't know what tea lead is, but there you go. Uh, the ancient spirits are thought to be most active during the new moon and near sacred sites such as temples, caves, and areas once reserved for Ali'i. On Oahu, there are numerous reports of night marchers in Ka'aawa Valley, Yokohama Bay, Kaniakapupu, these are, Hawaiian is not my native tongue, sorry guys, Kaina Point, Kalama Valley, and Waimanalo, among other many locations. Whether you believe these legends or write them off as local superstitions, consider yourselves warned. Now, some people think they're superstitions, but I actually have accounts by two people who witnessed the night marchers. Uh, the first one is a gentleman by the name of Mel. And this is a story he related from his childhood and from there on. Uh, it starts out, where are the night marchers? I asked my grandfather that because I knew that when he built his house, he took the back section out because of the night marchers. They used to walk through the back end of the house. He explained to me that if you put anything in their path, they will walk through it. So he took that section of the house out. He told me the direction that they came from and where they go. So that path was out the back window in the back of my bedroom and his bedroom. You see, my grandfather had, I think it was four bedroom house. So when he would go asleep, he'd go inside his room. He'd close two doors and he'd stay on that side. It's so dark over there, you put your hand in front of you. You can't see your hand. Then I asked him about night marchers, and my question to him, I said, I can see? He's telling me, uh, yeah, because you're Ohana, which means family, of course. Mm -hmm. It means you're in the line. And I said, how will I know they're coming? They're going to come. He said, you listen, they're going to come from this side. They come from this side, and you can hear them coming, just like pans crackling, and you can hear chains dragging. Sure enough, I was sleeping and woke because I heard all the sounds like Grandpa said. I stood by the window looking out, and they were walking past outside my window. They were walking and walking slowly. It was not spooky to me. Just knowing that I had a family connection with these marchers kept me from being scared. After they went past, I had a sad thought. Is this what they would do for the rest of time? They emanated from Honokoa Gulch and walked by my grandfather's house and the fish ponds toward Pu'ukuhula Heiau. I don't know their path back. Honokoa Gulch is known as the Valley of the Chiefs and Warriors. 
So I also have an account here from a man by the name of Lopaka Kanui. Uh, the Night Marchers. Kapanui. Lopaka Kapanui. Thank you. Forget I said that the first time. <laughs> the Night Marchers are known throughout the Hawaiian archipelago, says Lopaka Kapanui, a Hawaiian kahuna or priest and cultural practitioner who's well acquainted with the island, spooky folklore, and featured in the he, fe he was featured in a video. <laughs> it's ingrained in our culture. Naturally, you can't see the video here. Sorry about that, folks. Kapanui says that he once personally encountered the night marchers. I was in a Chinese cemetery one evening leading a ghost tour. That entire cemetery is built over a night marcher's trail. Unbeknownst to him, he just happened to be standing in the middle of their path. Their effect on him was immediate and overwhelming. Oh, lost my place. Sorry. It was like being encapsulated. The sound was gone. I could see the wind moving the trees and the tall grass around me, but I couldn't hear it or feel it. It became unbearably hot. Later, he would learn from a cousin that ancestors in the otherworldly procession must have recognized him and surrounded him to provide protection from the marchers. His professional advice, if you happen to encounter the spirits, the best thing for anyone to do if they hear the night marchers procession approach is to run. Get out of there. Make yourself very scarce. Don't stop and try to take selfies like some foolish people have done in the past. Mm -hmm. Just run. Don't be that person. In other words, if you're in Hawaii and your chicken skin warns you of an impending night marcher experience, make oh, like wait. a chicken and flee your <laughs> for your life because that might be exactly what's at stake. And that, yeah, when they get the goosebumps, they call it chicken skin in Hawaii. Yeah. So if you hear somebody talking about chicken skin, you know, take them seriously. Goosebumps. Yep, exactly. Yep. Well, our next subject is kind of it. Kind of, we were talking about it just a minute ago before we got back into the show. As, as people know, we do take breaks every thirty minutes to upload part of the episode before we go on from there. Um, but we were talking about the next one, which is dear the choking ghost of Waikiki. But that's not how Tracy put it. <laughs> what did Tracy <laughs> say? Tracy said choking <laughs> the ghost of Waikiki. <laughs> pain and i got nothing else because because my yeah. brain said choking the ghost of waikiki not that choking ghost of waikiki it was still funny it was <laughs> tracy broke herself tracy broke herself and that doesn't happen that often no it really doesn't <laughs> we usually break tracy yep. well why don't you tell us about choking the ghost of waikiki dear <laughs> <laughs> i didn't say that she did legend tells of a ghost roaming around oahu especially in waikiki terrorizing tourists and locals alike while they sleep people tell stories of waking in the middle of the night, feeling pressure against their chest, unable to breathe. This choking sensation is frightening, and people admit that they cannot move or scream for help. Just when they think their time has come, the ghost disappears. Since dead men tell no tales, there is no way to know for sure if any have succumbed to the choking ghost, never to wake up. So this sounds a lot like old hag syndrome. Hag syndrome, yeah. 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 The hag phenomena. Yep. I don't know, can you choke the ghost of Waikiki? <laughs> Tracy thinks you can. <laughs> no, my brain right wrong. Well, now that I've beaten that dead horse. Poor Tracy. Tracy, would you like to tell us about, as I said earlier, we had some more information on Pele. Would you like to get into it? Sure. Okay. <laughs> tell us about the fire goddess Pele. So the fire goddess Pele is said to have been banished from Tahiti by her father and chose to settle in Hawaii. Hawaiians believe she traveled about the island 
in various shapes, uh, shape-shifting forms, with one of the more popular forms being that of a, of a woman, young or old, with long white hair. The woman is sometimes seen with a dog, likes to hitchhike. Sorry, there we go. Hitchhike. Many believe this is Pele testing the kindness of, of the Hawaiian people. Those who give her a right are fine. <clears throat> but woe to anyone who neglects to help the white-haired goddess of fire, as catastrophe surely awaits. I would imagine. <clears throat> also known as Pele Hom... Pele, Pele Yeah. I'm so sorry to all my Hawaiian friends. <laughs> I hope, don't mean to mutate it. Actually, I think it's, it's Pele, Pele Honuamea. Honuamea, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, or she who shapes the sacred land. No disrespect to Pele. Yes. This goddess of fire and volcanoes continues to devour the big island with molten lava, also creating new islands in the process. Mm -hmm. Small towns and entire forests have been wiped out by Pele's passionate, unpredictable, and volatile temper. You moved it. I'm sorry. <laughs> volatile temper. I lost it because you moved it. Um, how did he? He's updating the thing as I was reading it. Oh, that's, yeah. Well, shame on you. My bad. My bad. Shame Small on you. Small towns and for, entire forests have been wiped out by her. There you go, Volatile Temper. And while her presence is felt on all the Hawaiian islands, legend maintains that she resides in the most active volcanoes in the world, the Samadhi Kilauea. Within Heleumau Crater, the Hawaiian Volcanoes National Park in the Big Island, Pele sends rivers of lava down the mountainside, adding more than 70 acres of new land to the southern east, sorry, southeast coast since 1983. I think it, before you go any further, I just, something caught my attention. I think it's funny. When it gets to the part about Pele, there's something that tells you how to pronounce Pele. But when you try to say her full name, there's no pronouncement. Yeah. But still. <laughs> it just struck me as funny. Sorry, go Sorry. ahead. Uh, travel to her home, stand at the edge of the edge of the crater, and many say they're, they're moved by the spirit of the goddess. She's mysterious and respected. In folklore, uh, Pele travels through the islands, appearing to mankind as a beautiful woman, yada, yada, yada. Let's mm -hmm. repeat there. Mm -hmm. um, tell us about some of the encounters uh, the, that's in there, too. The, uh, tales of encounters of Pele include drivers who picked up an old woman dressed in all white, dressed in all white on roads of Kilauea National Park, only look in the mirror in the back to find it empty. Uh, others say Pele's face has mysteriously appeared in the photos of, of the lava lake within crater or a molten lava flow. Among the islands, Pele is revered and respected. I think it'd be cool to see a picture of Pele in your picture. Yes. Or in your photo, you know. Don't take rocks or eat the berries. Now, this one I've heard multiple times. Mm -hmm. An important note to travelers looking for authentic souvenirs on the Hawaiian vacation. I am. Never remove or take home a lava rock from the islands. Lava is a sacred piece of the goddess. And bad luck will befall anyone who dares to remove from Pele's home. Which is all of Hawaii. Yes. Sands included. Not but just there are little kichi gift things that come with the sand, but that is their problem for putting it in there themselves. Yes. That's right. <laughs> it's also considered offensive to eat any of the ohelo, ohelo berries that grow along the edges of Alima Oma'u. Yes. Caldera. Without first offering them to the goddess or requesting permission. Tahitian exile. Agent legends of Pele are wrought with fierce feuds and jealous outbursts. One story tells of how Pele, one of the six daughters and seven sons born to Haumea, the earth goddess, and Kanin Milohai, 
creator of the sky and earth and heavens, came to Hawaii after being exiled from Tahiti by her father because of her temper. She fought with her older sister, Nake Namakaokaha. Nama yeah, E. I knew this was going to be a tough episode just from the <laughs> names alone. We're not native speakers, so our apologies to those who are. Namaka. That is one good thing about the Hawaiian language. You can actually sound it out. You just have to take your time. Right. Uh, the water goddess whose husband Pele seduced. Most lovers Pele took were not lucky enough to escape their lives, with their lives. Pele's oldest brother, Kamohali'i, the king of the sharks, gave her canoe so that she and several of her siblings paddled across the sea, all while battling with father. <laughs> okay. I don't. I, mm. <laughs> Finding a home in Hawaii. The goddess landed first on Kauai, but every time she thrust her oh oh or digging stick into to dig in the earth uh, for a pit of her home, her father was flooded to pits. Haley moved the chain down the chain of islands in order of geolo geological formation, eventually landing on the big island where she resides today. The ancient Hawaiians personified all natural forces as gods and goddesses, and thus Pele continues to make her majesty known in the mountains and the sea. The shark landscape is sorry, the stark landscape is a reminder is of a reminder of how power both of her power on both how to create and destroy. I swear I read and I speak the word of the English language. Yes. I swear. But the, the but the native language is difficult. And yes. I understand that. So again, apolo apologies to our native speakers who think we're all a bunch of idiots because we can't say these names. Miss Latoya, if you're listening, you should dial in for this one. <laughs> Just saying. Not that we're a dial-in show, well, no, but yeah. If you, if you want to come on here and call in, comment, yeah. Latoya, I miss you anyways. Call in anyways. Okay. Well, <laughs> next up, we've got uh, we we actually are going to tell a couple of ghost stories here. Um, we've got the USS Arizona and kind of in a roundabout way, Brian's uh, birthday. Pearl Harbor. Okay. You, you have Veterans Day. He has Pearl Harbor. This is true. <laughs> Sorry. I wasn't sure why it was pertinent until you said that. <laughs> it just randomly popped into my head. So do you want to talk about Pearl Harbor here in the Arizona? Sure. Okay. Go ahead. Give it a shot. I do not pronounce anything correctly, even in my own native tongue. <laughs> so I'm just going to state that before I start. Well, okay. I think this will be a little easier than what Tracy I know, just but did. like I'm saying, I trip over my own native language. So Do your best. <laughs> the events of December 7th, 1941 at Pearl Harbor in Oahu are burned into the consciousness of every American. On that day, 1,177 souls perished on the boat on board the USS Arizona without warning. I skipped ahead. Today, the boat rests in the same location where it sank on that fateful morning, and people believe that the boat is now haunted by the restless souls of the deceased. Servicemen patrolling the area. Eerie noises from voices to footsteps can be heard. As you might imagine, such a sudden tragedy left a large number of scars on the land. All over... Port Island, there are reports of strange things, sounds, and presence. If you don't stop that, I'm going to stop what? You, every time you edit it, it changes it for us. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Are you done? Yes. Are we please, sure? Please continue. Now, where did I leave off? 
Okay, as you, as might, you imagine. might imagine, such a, such a sudden tragedy left a large number of scars on the land. All over Fort Island, there are reports of strange things, sounds, and presences that correspond to events of that day. But the phenomena are not limited to the island alone. The base itself has numerous reports from the command, from command all the way down to civilian visitors of apparitions and restless souls. It has been reported that security forces do not like walking the grounds at night because of all the paranormal activity. On Fort Island, residents report phantom voices and footsteps in their homes, as well as objects move, lights and electronics that turn on and off by themselves, and dark shadows that walk about aimlessly, only to vanish when approached. The airstrip also has a reputation as visitors often report a real sense of panic and a strange glowing mist that floats about. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. a very scary day mm -hmm. on all accounts I've ever read and, and biographies and such. So, Movies watched, all that good stuff, yeah? Mm -hmm. Movies watched and everything? No, I'm talking about biographies read and yeah. stuff. I'm not talking about movies. Did I not? I didn't say movies. Well, Pearl Harbor showed a lot of stuff. I never watched yeah. it. Okay. <laughs> See, he's assuming Fine. things about Please me continue. <laughs> Just messing with you. If you touch that... I'm going to hurt you. Passing love notes in the, the text, guys. So if you're not singing, <laughs> but you're hearing the tap, 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 it's okay. Are you done? If you are. <laughs> you started it. But it's, uh, but it's a ghost named Charlie that has captured the attention of many. So well-documented are his activities that when a faucet turns on for no reason, a radio station changes, or a door slams shut, it's not uncommon to hear someone say, oh, that's just Charlie. An Australian family claims that they captured an incredible image from above the USS Arizona of a face beneath the waters of Pearl Harbor. Susan Devani and her family said the face appeared to be shimmery oil in the water above the wrecked ship, where, ah, where it remains as a memorial to the sailors who died during the December 7, 1941 attacks on the Hawaiian Harbor. After taking the haunted photo, Devani showed the picture to her husband. I said, just have a look at the foot at the photo. And he said, Oh my gosh, it's a face. And when the kids saw it, and they go, Oh wow, Devani said. Devani described the ghostly figure in the water as looking very sad and young. Okay. So, so I have a useless bit of trivia. Okay. We okay. love useless trivia. Go but, ahead. Um, what? It, it, we love I, useless trivia. Or we love useless trivia. So can't say it, but I I love it. <laughs> so, uh, about was it 15 years ago, a group of Japanese tourists came over mm -hmm. and were asking people in Hawaii what happened on this day. And everyone's checking around going, Don't you know? Nothing. No, no, no. What? Something big happened on this day. Nothing happened on this day. No, 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 no. The bombing of Pearl Harbor, like, that was if, next many years ago, yesterday, International Dateline. Mm -hmm. Japan aimed it for the 8th. Right. But we got it on the 7th. Mm -hmm. And they, they were completely blown. How does America not have history? Because you got it on the wrong day. <laughs> so, yep. useful bit of trivia. So, Japan bombed us yesterday. Yes. By all accounts. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah, my, my <laughs> well, I've got one more to relate. Um, you guys ever hear of Plantation Village? No. 
Originally, yeah. I hadn't, but you should talk to me about it today. So well, basically, <laughs> it's one of it's it's way back when when Hawaii was first colonized by the white man. Sure, they discovered sugarcane on the island, basically, and it became a big to do. They started processing sugarcane, growing plant, growing on plantations, things like that, and brought. By the way, people from, the from, processing of sugarcane is nasty. It smells gross. I just want to say that. No, I totally agree with you. When I was in high school at Delta High School here on the river, <laughs> it's now a winery. But back in the day when I was in high school, it was a sugar mill. I used to take the train up here from the Bay Area, and it goes past the sugarcane CNA sugarcane factory. And oh my, it's just so nasty. Imagine <laughs> going to a Friday night football game, <laughs> only to be inundated with a god awful smell of processed sugar. Cane. It's sugar is wonderful though. I mean, I like sugar, whatever. It's a good thing, but oh yeah, the smell of bro- the processing of it. It don't just, it don't smell like a taste. I'll put oh it that way. Oh my gosh, you're like oh. the closest I have is is living downwind from the cemetery mm-hmm. in the summer. So when the mausoleums leak. Right. Oh yeah, and they do leak. And I don't have the smell of sugar cane in my nose from the processing, but I have woken up to what's that? Oh. <laughs> It yeah. smells. It smells like the chicken under my bed. That's a totally a different story. <laughs> you need to really quick. You need to explain okay, that story. Really because... quick. It was. It was the, the the day of my first son's birth. We had left for the hospital, not realizing that we had left the chicken out. Okay. <laughs> I laugh at them. My son's born. It's a happy day. We get home. Everything's fine. About a week later, <laughs> there's this smell coming out of our bedroom. And everybody has forgotten that the chicken was left out. Sure. Hit it with the punchline at the end. Anyway. <laughs> well, no, this is everybody who forgot. I was getting chicken. to that. Yes, everyone had forgotten that the chicken was left out. But the smell in the bedroom was so pungent. Couldn't figure out what it was. Couldn't find it. One day it just got to be too much. I said, the heck with it. I started looking around, pulling things up. Finally realized that it's coming from under the bed. While we were gone, the cat had taken the chicken off the kitchen counter, drug it in the bedroom to to munch on it, tore open the plastic and started chewing on it. The smell was coming from the dead chicken through the plastic lining. In the bedroom. So that's my story on that. But nothing like sugar cane. Anyway. How about the, the turkey I accidentally left in the oven in the plastic wrap? And uh yeah. Yeah, plastic wrap chicken. It it wasn't chicken, it was turkey. turkey I mean, it was yeah. a chub of turkey, small one, and it fell and it fell into the grate in the kit in the old style 50s stove. So we didn't know it was in there. So every time we turned the oven on, it would leak. <laughs> This was years ago. Anyway, we were talking about Plantation Village, weren't yes. we? Sorry. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so Waipahu, Hawaii is home uh, to one of the most haunted places in the state, Hawaii's Plantation Village. Uh, from 1850 to 1950, Plantation Village housed Chinese, Korean, Japanese, Portuguese, or Portuguese, Puerto Rican, Filipino, and Hawaiian sugar plantation laborers. Each family that arrived in Hawaii brought with them their own culture. And along with it, their beliefs and superstitions, which is why there's so many superstitions and stuff in Hawaii today. Today, local guides, yeah, really is. 
So today, local guides give hour-long tours to tourists of the plantation and school groups visiting the 50-acre village to learn about immigrant life back then. So I'm going to get a little bit of history about the plantation here. The village was once a part of the Oahu Sugar Company, which I will call OSC from here on in. Uh, the skilled employees came primarily from Germany, but as was typical of plantations during this time period, OSC faced a shortage of unskilled laborers with the exception of a small number of Hawaiian workers. Most laborers came from the Philipp Let me try that again. Most laborers came from the Philippines, Japan, China, Portugal, and Norway. Each employee received a house free of charge, complete with firewood, fuel, and water for domestic purposes. By the 1930s, garbage collections, street cleaning, and sewage disposal were provided. Plantations sold produce and retail goods to employees at cost. Other store buildings were rented to tenants of various nationalities to give employees a wide choice on the selection of goods. OSC provided clubhouses, athletic fields, and playgrounds. Baseball was a favorite pastime, and OSC's team maintained an outstanding record in plantation league tournaments. The company donated labor and materials to local schools. A hospital was built in 1920, and the services of a resident physician were provided free of charge to the unskilled employees. Uh, there was a moderate charge to skilled employees and outsiders, people not employed with OSC who sought medical assistance. By 1925, the population of the plantation ranged from 9,500 to 10,000 people. Well, big job. Yeah, there were approximately 2,850 names on the payroll, and it was estimated that at least three quarters of the residents of Waipahu earned a living in connection with the production with the blah, 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 with the production of sugar. Sorry, folks. What did you say? Yeah. The greatest portion of work performed at OSC was done on the contract or piecework system. For example, cutting and piling cane was paid for by the ton. Plowing and planting was by the acre. Irrigation, cultivation, and general care of the fields was based on crop yield. Of the 25 remaining plantation houses today, about half of them are reputedly haunted. Uh, before I reputedly reputedly yes okay, I thought you said repeatedly. but before I get into that there's actually some darker stuff that I failed to put on here um, a lot of the plantation workers they had passed laws um, that made these plantation workers indentured servants so they had to work off their debt like the labor like, strikes and yeah. the um, that the oil in the, the coal mining yeah brain's gone yeah just like i that. knew what i was trying to say just didn't come out right so yeah they had to, they had to pay off their debts basically and most of them will wind up working a lifetime because they can never pay off the debt in full no matter what they did yeah. also when they started working for the company they were given these little metallic coin-like medals that they would wear that had a number on them mm -hmm. each number represented who they were the color of the metal represented what nationality they were um a lot of times they were called by the number, not the name. One worker. Nazi Germany all over again. Basically, Sorry. Yeah. And they weren't the treated, they weren't treated as well as some of this says. One worker even said, you know, he says, I wish I had a name. So, yeah. It wasn't all. Sunshine and Roses. Thank you. That's the words, those are the words all, I was looking for. Um, with the heck of the flowers and pineapples. I don't know, but I understand your meaning. Plumeria and pineapples. <laughs> okay, we'll Sorry. call that plumeria and pineapples. Plumeria is I love. That's the only place you can get really good plumeria perfume. 
Sorry. So as I was about to say, of the 25 remaining plantation houses today, about half of them are reputedly haunted. Uh, the Portuguese family house is said to be haunted by a ghostly young girl from the plantation's past. At the Puerto Rican house, there are reports that a Japanese doll mysteriously appears outside of its case. One worker claimed a choking ghost from the Okinawan home followed him home. Is that, our, is that Waikiki's ghost, I wonder? Ghost at home, and the hag followed you. He choked the Waikiki ghost, and he came back to Okinawa to come get you. Something like that, anyway. Uh, Hawaii's Plantation Village Executive Director Jeffrey Higa admits he didn't believe in ghosts or spirits when he first started working at the village in 2006. That but changed now. Well, sorry. Does. That changed after Higa was forced to deal with numerous supernatural reports from visitors, tour guides, workers, and even haunted house actors. He says, people aren't allowed to work alone in the houses. As I mean, a safety precaution, they work in pairs. Now. Yeah. <laughs> Higa doesn't even visit the village alone either. He usually brings his 55-pound collie to work. <laughs> He's a collie. He never barks, Higa says. But all of a sudden, he'll stop and he'll bark at something that's, and there's nothing there. And I go, I don't want to go turn that corner. <laughs> uh, in the Portuguese house, some say that the ghost of a young girl dressed in white haunts it. You can't avoid the house because it's the first building after you pass the temple to greet you upon entering the village. No one apparently knows the girl's name, but she's a playful ghost who often appears to kids and mothers during the daytime. She initially appeared to us at Higa when we had school children there. Uh, we wouldn't really know about it until one of the children would ask, Who's, who is that girl there? One docent, a Filipino woman, claims that she... Some, sorry. Sorry. Let me try that again. One docent, a Filipino woman, claims she felt something touching her, and she... Boy, I'm having trouble with this sentence. <laughs> I apologize, folks. One docent, a Filipino woman, claims she felt something touching her hair and shoulders. The woman immediately ran to Higa after her hair flipped over her face. She vowed to never set foot inside the Portuguese house again. That's when Higa called a minister to investigate. He says the Reverend Cahu Silva came by the house three times without informing him he was on the property. The first time he went through, he said he felt a heavy male spirit in the house. And then the third time he came, he said he felt the same male spirit in the front bedroom in a different location. Then after asking Higa and the female docent to meet him at the Portuguese house, Silva used holy water to bless every window and door inside the house. He also used tea leaf and Hawaiian salt to purify the house. There we go, tea leaf. Earlier I said tea leaf. It was a mispronounce. It was a, a typo. So now I know what we're talking about. Tea leaves. Tea leaves. Tea leaves yep. are purifying. Yep. Higa says Silva told them the good news is the spirit is a good spirit. <coughs> she feels very close to this area. She's protecting the house, and we don't need to worry about her. She is not an evil spirit. What are you trying to show me? I'm not showing you anything. I was threatening to throw it at you. <laughs> this is what I go through during the podcast. I'm paying attention. But then the minister turned to the guide, but she's very interested in you, he said. <laughs> the guide replied, I don't want her to be interested in me. I don't know who she is. <laughs> Silva told the woman she's interested in you because she has never had a mother. The docent started to cry. Higa recalls asking, what do you mean she has never had a mother? Everybody has a mother. As the story goes, the girl's mother abandoned her newborn, 
after taking one look at her. Her husband was forced to raise the girl alone. Without daycare, the man tied his daughter to a table or chair when he went to work in the plantation fields. One day there was a fire in the camp. All the plantation workers rushed back to the village to help put out the fire. They were deathly afraid the fire would spread when one wooden house caught on fire. Bitter and ashamed, the man went inside the house and realized he could either rescue his daughter or get rid of his problem. He decided on the latter and she died in the house. Because the young girl lacked a maternal figure, he says her spirit is supposedly attracted to the women who are mother-like. So you should do all right there, dear. Oh, you're as matronly as they come. You know it. You're not nice. The look Kids love you. you. Kids love you. Most My children do. Feel better yeah. with puckered. The look <laughs> So anyway, my guide was crying and shaking. I don't want her near me. I don't want her touching me. I don't want her bothering me, he recalls. Kahu got really mad. He said, this is a gift. You have to understand she is reaching out to you, so you can't reject her. You have to understand her story. For about three to five years after the incident, the girl did not bother anyone in the village until recently. Higa says she appeared before some children two weeks ago at the time of this writing. Mm -hmm. I guess she's starting to come back now, Higa says. I don't know what's going to happen. Then there's the Japanese house. Yeah, hold on. I want to interject something here. Okay. You reacted to her being tied to the chair. In American uh, plantations. Oh, I know. It, 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 the, all these things happened in the past. Ba babies were, were, were squaddled and hung up, hung up on hooks until they were three or four years old. Or carried on backs yes. in a lot of cases. In, in a lot of plantations. Depending on, on, on how the parents and who how the slave owner mm -hmm. mm -hmm. proceeded. So tied to a chair is still a bad. Less than, it's still than, pretty bad. Yeah. It's cheap daycare. It is. Sorry, there's right. you know, more useless information that I have. Oh, no, I, I I know. I just I hate hearing about stuff like that. I hate hearing about the the neglect and the abuse of children, and it, it doesn't have to be any like that one woman who chained that poor girl to a toilet. Yeah, uh, it was local, wasn't it? I think that one was local. Uh, I'm not sure. Possible. It's probably happened nationwide. But going back throughout the centuries, you you. This was, say, proper British families. Now, and I don't mean like proper as in royal British family, but any family that had a child that was young and you were trying to, quote, get through the day, you would put that child in the attic. And you would, the child would be you know, able to walk and talk, but not be of the, quote, age of reason yet. Where you come up with a term, children should be seen and not heard. heard. Yep, and that child spent most of their young life up there until they were, quote, able to be taught. And then as soon as they're able to be taught, they were sent away to school. Mm -hmm. So the family didn't actually raise their kids. Boarding schools and such, yeah. Okay, so as I was about to say <laughs> before I got a little interrupted, but that was, a, that was some good information there. Um, we're talking, we're going to talk about the Japanese house. Uh, the Japanese house has its share of haunts as well. Um, uh, mostly though, it's just people who have heard things like pots and pans banging around. So, okay. you know, for, for call that what you will. But, uh, for a couple of nights every year for Halloween, the Hawaii plantation village becomes 
a haunted house attraction called the Haunted Plantation. It's not a typical haunted house. Uh, I didn't want to build sets to look to make it look scary, says Noah Laporga, the Haunted Plantation creator. Instead, Laporga relies on the village's creepiness at night. Throw in some fog, spooky music, and at least 50 costumed actors hiding in the dark corners of the house. Houses. Houses, sorry. Boom. You got yourself one of the scariest haunted houses in town. <laughs> Laporga started the Haunted Plantation almost nine years ago in 2006, which would be a lot longer now. 16 years ago. <laughs> yep. He does the actor's makeup from the sad-looking clown to the disfigured faces. At first, he was skeptical about the reports of the plantation's hauntings. Initially, only a handful of actors, including Laporga's family members, helped with the haunted plantation. Uh, about six years ago at this writing, Laporga says his mother helped to scare unsuspecting visitors inside the Portuguese home. She felt something tugging at the keys inside her jeans pocket. We're thinking it was the little girl who was just curious about the Hello Kitty toy in mom's pocket, says Laporca laughing. But not all the stories were playful. One haunted house actor who was scaring in the Portuguese home last year for Halloween, at the time of the writing, <laughs> sorry, reported strange bruises on her legs. It looked like somebody or something had grabbed her legs. Fingerprints. Another actor who replaced her experienced the same thing. During the nine years of Haunted Plantation, Laporga says between 15 and 20 actors have quit. Do they still do it? Yeah, as far as I, I know. Mean, with well, well, they with stopped, COVID, doing, they stopped doing it when COVID hit. But do they, are they still going to do last it? Last I heard, they're up and running again. Okay. Uh, they, will be doing, they will be doing it again this year on Halloween. So much fun stuff to do all over the, the, the world. For well, Halloween. it's all coming back. I know, thank goodness. So... There's one house where people get physically choked a lot by something they don't see, he says. Laporga recalls one female actor claiming she felt pressure on her neck and could barely breathe in the Okinawan house. She never returned. A lot of Hag ghost stories about ghosts who like to choke. Yes, Hag syndrome things. stuff, yeah. She was upright, mobile. Yeah, yeah. she's not sleeping. Well, no, that's true, but the other one was sleeping, but you yeah. st still you're being choked or something's mm -hmm. on, pressing on your chest even when yep. you're standing up still kind of considered that kind of thing. You wonder uh -huh. who passed in there from being and why they're so angry still. around the throat. Yeah. Or maybe they're gone because they choked somebody. Yeah. You know, executed in some way, shape, or form, and they continue to do it in the afterlife. I've been watching a, a reel that she talked about unalive people, and I'm like, that's sticking in my mind. I have to remember, you know, removed. Unalive people? Be before before so-and-so was unalived. <laughs> Because you can't say the D word on Facebook anymore. That's true. You can't say the D word on Facebook anymore? No, because then you might be bullying someone into suicide. You can't say my mother died so many years ago and suddenly suddenly you you're to, bullying somebody. You have to say passed away <sighs> or is no or, longer with I us. I am so or... over the PC of everything. So, so she refers to someone as being unalived, which makes sense. Anyhow, yep. sorry. No I'm going to start using the word deadened. 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 That? <laughs> okay, that's a new one. So anyway, that's about it for Hawaii. Um, you got anything you want to talk tonight? I got stories. About? I cannot. I cannot use words tonight. I'm sure. Do you have anything that yes. you would like to tell us about? You have a story. <laughs> story. Adri short tonight is what? The haunts of Harriet Haskell. Okay. By Troy Taylor. 
Monticello, Monticello. Monticello College, the first female seminary in the West, was founded in 1838 by Captain Benjamin Godfrey, a pioneer financier near Alton, Illinois. At the time, most girls' schools were finishing schools that emphasized music, needlework, and other womanly arts. At Monticello, however, ladies studied mathematics, English, history, religion, philosophy, and foreign languages. As the college grew, it attracted students from all over the country. During the Civil War, the campus became bitterly divided as girls from both Union and Confederate families attended. That changed with the arrival of Harriet Newell Haskell in 1867. As the new principal of Monticello, Ms. Haskell quickly mended the rift and students took to her right away, perhaps because of her wit and her sharp sense of humor. Ms. Haskell's tenure at Monticello Seminary lasted 40 years, and it was the school's zenith by both educational and economic standards. She had a knack for securing donations for the school and was respected by parents and board members alike. When she died, former students from across the country sent flowers and cards who came from great distances to attend her funeral. Eventually, time and co-educational colleges caught up with the school. The last class graduated from Monticello in 1971, after which the campus became the home of Lewis and Clark Community College. Much of the campus has since been re renovated, and what used to be dorm rooms are now offices. The old school chapel is now a library. Post-mortem activity. In 1971, on the day Monticello Seminary officially became a college, one of the largest and oldest trees on the campus crashed to the ground. No storm, no high winds, or act of nature caused the tree to fall. Some say that as it was Harriet, Newell, Harriet Haskell upset over what had become of her beloved Monticello, who knocked it down. Whether or not Harriet's ghost is real, the legend is firmly embedded in the college's culture. Believers speak quietly about the ghost, while non-believers refuse to acknowledge the stories at all. The college has no official stand on the haunting, but nevertheless considers it a part of the school. The stories about Harriet Haskell's ghost activity began shortly after her death in 1907. At the time, Monticello Ghouls, the Ghouls, <laughs> sorry, hey, Monticello Girls, time. yeah, I know, I'm tired. <laughs> Monticello Girls scared new students with the tales of Miss Haskell's ghost wandering the halls at night. Others told of seeing her face reflecting back at them from mirrors and of seeing apparitions in darkened corridors. Such ghostly tales may simply have been legends designed to frighten new arrivals at the school, although there are a handful of eerie events that can't be readily explained. Most notably, the lights and fountains of one of the oldest structures on campus have been observed turning on and off of their own accord, and the steam-operated elevator in the old administration building has been known to travel between floors at night. Creepy. Um, the library, the campus is the, campus is the la Campuses dilapidated. Okay, I think it might be a typo. Hold on. The campus campuses is the library, which was once Monticello Chapel, is among the most haunted sites at the college. Some say this was Miss Haskell's favorite spot on campus, so it's not surprising that her spirit is encountered here with some regularity. The distinct smell of lilac perfume, Miss Haskell's trademark scent has also been reported in the library, and many believe this phantom smell signals her presence. The librarian working alone one night claimed she felt someone touch her on the shoulder, and when she turned to see who it was, found nobody there. She returned to her work and again felt a hand tap her arm. The woman later stated that while she doesn't believe in ghosts, there was something in the library with her that night. A different librarian present presents another account of Harriet Haskell, 
sighting. She was straightening a magazine, straightening magazines in a recessed corner nook one night and looked up to see a tall woman in a long old fashioned dress standing near the main desk. Before she could ask the woman if she needed assistance, the woman vanished. One Halloween night, a student who was skeptical about the supernatural did a radio broadcast from the library. He set up his equipment to air a reading of some of Harriet Haskell's writings. Around midnight, the student signed off the air and had just shut down the transmitter. When he felt a cool hand touch him on the shoulder, he turned quickly, and when he found no one there, he figured that one of the, his buddies was playing a trick on him. He pulled off his earphones, grabbed a flashlight, and searched the library. He found no one. Ooh. Thank you. <laughs> the student returned his equipment, sat down, and put his headphones back on. His hand shook as he turned the dial for some music, and little by little, he began to relax. When he felt the familiar hand on his shoulder again, he tore the headphones from his head, leaving all of his equipment behind, ran out of the library. Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. that makes sense. Phantom cries. One afternoon in the early 1990s, the college maintenance staff received a call from campus security notifying them that a female student was trapped inside one of the new elevators that had become stuck between floors. The young woman had grown agitated and was crying for help when two maintenance workers arrived on the scene and set to work on the elevator. The woman continued to call out to the workers, asking them to hurry. And after several minutes, she began to cry. A short time later, the problem fixed. The workers brought the elevator down to free the trapped woman. The doors opened, and they waited for her to step off. When no one came out, they looked inside. The elevator was empty. The maintenance man and security guards who made the initial call said that they had been talking with the woman inside the elevator, even though they discovered no one was in there. Monticello College okay. is now Lewis and Clark Community College at 5,800 Godfrey Road, Godfrey, Illinois, 62035. So I'm sure you could probably get permission to visit it. <laughs> no doubt. So that it, is a, it is a public house, basically. Well, it's, a, so. it's a community college, so I mean. That would be considered a public house. I don't know what's cut off from people going to visit or not. Well, I'm sure you'd probably have to get permission if you were going to go ghost hunting Especially if you're not like a student there. But if you're a student there, hey, check it out. Mm -hmm. yeah, have fun. Okay, well, I hope you all had fun tonight, and I hope everybody enjoyed listening to the podcast. And I hope some people aren't too offended with Herb's pronunciations <laughs> and tripping over yes, our tongues. Once again, for the native speakers, we do apologize for any mispronunciations. We did the best we could under the circumstances. Um, you know, Hawaii, Hawaii is a fascinating place. We love its history. I would love to visit. Someday I'll get there. Not in the summer. Yeah, someday I'd love to get there myself. <laughs> it's not yeah. hot here. Yeah, uh, it's great. It's great that everywhere has a ghost story to tell. I love ghost yeah. stories. So, what state should we try for next week? Actually, next week I've got something else in mind. For the next, <laughs> what state should we try next? Though I think we should pick another state. Um, Between the interviews, we I have don't two know. interview two interviews lined up for the next two weeks. We do, yes. So, and hopefully then, they go through. Hopefully it happens. I, I don't want to. I don't want to say who it is or anything like so, that because it seems like every time I do, it's they, like we jinx ourselves. Yeah. So, suffice to say that we do have an interview scheduled for next week, and it should be a pretty good one. Yay! Beyond that, I'm not telling. <laughs> but in the meantime, everybody, I just want to wish y'all a good night, Tracy, Adri. Lovely to have you on the show as Enjoy always. Enjoy your weekend and we'll, we'll be at you. We'll, we'll hit you up next week. Yeah. <laughs>
So as as the natives say, aloha. Um, Mahalo. Mahalo. Stay spooky is what we say. Mahalo. Watch out that for the ch- everything. Pretty much. Aloha means hello and goodbye, but I thought mahalo mean I'm sorry. You know, mahalo is another one like it's an, it's another greeting. Yeah. I thought, okay. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Have sorry. a good night, folks. I can't remember. Anything. Stay spooky. Aloha. Mahalo. And uh, watch out for chicken skin <laughs> and choking ghosts. And cue the gremlin. What in the Podcast is a part of the What in the Podcast network and is available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other great podcast formats. You can find us on Facebook at the What in the Podcast Facebook group. If you have a great story idea or have a personal paranormal event that you want to share with us, email us at whatinthepodcast at gmail.com with your story, or you can leave us a voice message by clicking the link in the episode description. If you like what you're hearing, please don't forget to leave us a review and rate us five stars. It doesn't seem like much, but it helps us more than you can imagine. What in the Podcast is also made possible thanks to our sponsors and listeners like you. Thanks for listening.